This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church, located in Mequon, Wisconsin. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please visit our website, myabc.church. Where have we come so far? Might be worth recapping the story. We can get so caught up in looking at one particular tree that we forget what the forest looks like in our journey through uh, the scriptures. God had created a paradise. It was exceedingly good. And he didn't do so because he had needs. He needed his creation to meet for him. God created because it's in his nature to give. And in that paradise, Adam and Eve enjoyed a type of existence we will not know until Jesus comes back, until we go to be with him. They knew what it was like to live faithfully under God's rule. They knew what it was like to live in perfect unity with each other and all of creation. And all of it was due to God's creational grace. He didn't need us. He made space for us and created us and invited us into the space that belong to him. It didn't take long for, though, this this dream to become spoiled. Adam and Eve began to question God's word to them. They began to doubt his goodness. They instead chose to launch out on their own to make their lives, at least what they thought, to make their lives even better than they already were. But the dirty little surprise waiting for them at the end of that temptation is that they became worse than they were before. They sinned. And with sin came all of its horrific consequences and one of those consequences is illustrated in the story of Cain and Abel Cain killing his brother as is the case with sin it spiraled out of control until God put an end to it by starting over with Noah and his family God's vision still remained the same to see the human population flourish and live under his rule through faith and trust in his word all that God would not be sidetracked It remains, even to this day, his vision, his mission. However, in addition to the animals and Noah's family, what else joined Noah on the boat? Sin joined Noah and the animals and his family on the boat. So once again, the human condition makes a mess of things. And the nature of our sin we saw last week in the story of Babel. So... If you're reading Genesis 1 through 11 purely as a story and you're zipping through it, the nagging question probably reverberating throughout your mind is this, how do human beings get back to Eden? That's the tension that's developed in the story. How do human beings, not just to the location of Eden, but to the conditions of Eden, how do we get back to that? Where human beings once again live faithfully in accordance with God's word? How can we experience the blessings of living faithfully according to God's word? That's the nagging question in the story. That's the tension that's been created in the story. Now, there's a major break that takes place between Genesis 11 and 12. Genesis 1 to 11, the story is big and it's fast moving. Thousands of years are covered Dozens of generations are covered, and the story focuses broadly on the human race as a whole. But beginning in chapter 12, the story slows way down and begins to focus on a single family 
from whom would come the nation of Israel. So let's pick it up in chapter 11, verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and uh, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. How does one live a life of significance? How does one find significance in life? Last week, we looked at the story of Babel. One of the reasons God found that event so tragic is that human beings were on a quest to make a name for themselves. They were attempting to live a life of significance, to find significance on their own, autonomously disengaged from God. The story of Abraham comes on the heels of that and stands in contradistinction to it. The topic remains the same, however, How does one live a life of significance? How does one find significance in life? Now, like the people of Babel, we are prone to pursuing our own way. I live a life of significance. I find significance by being great at my career. I live a a life of significance. I find significance by raising children so well-behaved and socially adjusted that others admire me. I live a life of significance. I find significance by accumulating lots of likes and followers on social media. The story of Abraham, however, is going to provide us with an alternate narrative. Living a life of significance, finding significance, living a big life, a big life, comes a different way. It comes through the call of God. The call of God in your life is what gives you significance. This is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the call of God, why we need it, what it promises, what it demands, and how to answer it. Why we need it, what it promises, what it demands, and how to answer it. First, why we need it. Now, we're told Abraham's wife, Sarah, is barren. She can't have, has been unable to have children. Walter Brueggemann, in his little commentary on Genesis, says that the inability to have children is an effective metaphor for hopelessness and futility. So the fact of Sarah's barrenness isn't just there to let us know about an interesting biological fact or biological struggle. It's there to show us an existential struggle, a sense that their lives are meaningless. And the nature of the problem that has caused it is effective in showing us the solution to their insignificant lives isn't found in doing things differently or getting a better education, or pursuing a different career path. There isn't an alternate route they, can, they themselves can take that's going to lead to children. What's going to give them children? 
The call of God. What happens then if the call of God doesn't come to Abram? Their family line comes to an end and so does their pursuit of significance. A significant life begins with God. It's God who gives you significance. Specifically, it's the call of God. Unless the call of God comes into your life, you're going to live in a continual state of barrenness, hopelessness, purposelessness, futility, and insignificance. The nature of our fallen condition constantly pushes us in a direction to search for those things, to search for those things that will satisfy us. But every one of those things is bound to fail us. Where would Abraham be today if the call of God never came into his life? He'd be dead. His family line would be dead. There'd be no lasting legacy, no one to remember them. Sadness, loss. It would be a story of insignificance and profound emptiness. So what's your story going to be? Will you have a legacy? Will you be remembered? The controversial and famous entertainer Madonna probably captures this better than anybody. In an interview, she said this. She said, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. That's always been pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. We're constantly fed the message that Madonna has bought into. If you want to be somebody in this world, then you need to go out there and do it. Go out there and make a name for yourself. But the story of Abraham tells us something different, doesn't it? What makes Abraham special? Abraham lived a huge life, a huge life. Why? Because the call of God came into his life. See, what makes you special isn't what you're able to go out there and do and accomplish. What makes you special is the call of God. Without the call of God, we don't see life. We don't get purpose. We don't get wholeness. Whether or not the call of God has come into your life is the most important thing about you. That's why we desperately need it. Second, what it promises. Look at verses two and three and notice all the times that God says, I will in these verses. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and ever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See how active God is here in this story? Look at all the things that God is promising to do. And notice the content of the promises. The content of the promises are on the opposite extreme of the problem facing them. The content of the promises, the opposite extreme of the problems facing them. Their problem is no children. The promise is that their family and their family line will be vast. Isn't that just like God? To promise something opposite to what their loudest needs appear to be at the moment? This is an in-your-face reminder 
that Abraham's story, your story, is God's to write. In contrast to Babel, we don't make a name for ourselves. Babel shows us the best we can accomplish is to create the illusion we have made a name for ourselves. It is God who makes a name for us. You are not writing your story. God is. Now, once God makes these promises to Abraham, they aren't fulfilled the following week. He has to wait 25 years before Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Now, Abraham didn't exactly ace the waiting game exam. He tripped up along the way. But what happened in the end? God delivered on his promises. See, what makes you say yes to the call of God are the promises of God. He has stacked the deck in your favor. If you don't believe me about that, consider this. We would not be here in this room. We would not be here in this room if God did not make good on his promises to Abraham. That's how big this event is. We would not be gathered here. There would be no church if God had not called and made good on his promises to Abraham. Abraham lived a big life, a huge life, an influential life, not because he set out to do so, not because he set out to carry the banner of some cause. He lived a big life, a huge life, an influential life because God made his life big. God made his life huge. God made his life influential. And God is the one writing your story. You're not writing your story. God is the one writing your story. Will you trust his promises to you? One pastor illustrates it this way. He says, imagine a five-year-old boy playing with a toy truck, and then it breaks. He's disconsolate. He's, he's crying to his parents to fix it. And yet as he's, he's crying, his father comes to him and says this. He says, son, a distant relative you've never met has just died and left you $100 million. Will that make the child's reaction change? Parents? New. He's just going to cry louder until his truck is fixed. Right? He doesn't have enough cognitive capacity to realize his true condition and be consoled. We're the same way with the promises of God. He has made countless promises that not even Disney could do justice to. But we often lack the capacity to grasp them. We're the five-year-old with a broken truck. Even though there's $100 million waiting for us. If God had not made good on his promise to Abraham, we would not be here today. He will deliver on what he has said he will do. Third, what it demands. When the call of God comes into your life, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you deeply. When the call of God came into Abraham's life, God says this, leave your country, 
your people. Leave your father's household. Go to the land that I will show you. Literally, God says, Abraham, get yourself out of there. Leave behind everything that's familiar to you. Leave everything behind that's comfortable to you. Leave behind everything that gives you security. And then God says to him, go to the land that I will show you, but I'm not gonna show you that right now. I'm not gonna spell that out for you right now. I'm not gonna show you the pictures of your hotel room online. You don't get to preview it. For now, you're gonna have to trust me. Some of you might be asking the question, how will I know if the call of God has come into my life or if it comes into my life? You will know. You will know. Because when it does, God is going to make some demands of you. He is going to ask you to leave behind the familiar and the comfortable. He's going to ask you to trust him completely and make him the center of your world. He's going to ask you to leave and go. Now, for some of you, when the call of God came into your life, you left behind the bar scene, the drug scene, and exchanged that community for your church community. For some of you, when the call of God came into your life, God asked you to leave behind a life of self-indulgence and pleasure. Go to a land of self-sacrifice and giving. For some of you, when the call of God came into your life, God asked you to leave behind a life of self-righteousness and moral arrogance. Go to a land of self-depreciation and humility. For others of you, maybe the call of God has come into your life, but you're refusing to leave behind what's familiar and comfortable. You're refusing to trust him. You're not going to find hope and purpose in life by making this your M.O., because what would have happened if Abraham refused to leave it all behind and trust God completely? His family line comes to an end. He and his wife would have never experienced that deep satisfaction that comes with having a God-given purpose in life. Abraham's life would have terminated on a dead-end road, and we wouldn't be reading about him today. So if the call of God has come into your life in some form, but you're not leaving it all behind and making it the center of your existence, let me encourage you to think again. And to the Christians in this room, this is important for us as well. Think about how risky this was for Abraham, particularly in that day and age. Think about how risky it was. He was asked to leave what was familiar and comfortable to him without knowing where his ultimate destination would be or what it would be like. But Abraham lived a huge life. He lived a life of significance. Listen to me, you are most effective when you are on the edge of risk. Christian, if you're comfortable, you're probably not thriving. So what is God asking you to leave behind now? Where is he asking you to go? Maybe it's a land of greater holiness. But in order to get there, you have to leave behind some of the mindless, Christless activities with which you fill your schedule. Maybe it's a land of intentional ministry 
two and four others. But in order for you to get there, you have to leave behind the extra hours in the office or time spent on your favorite recreational activity. Maybe it's a land of greater generosity. Leaving behind some of the discretionary spending you've gotten used to. The departure from securities is the way out of barrenness. The way out of futility is rarely, if ever, found by staying comfortable. This applies to churches as well. There's something to be said for upsetting the apple cart, disturbing the status quo. On one level, churches should be safe places for people to deal honestly with their problems. But on another level, the church should make us all uncomfortable. God has placed a call on the church. And it calls us to abandon, renounce, relinquish some things. As a church, there should never be a time when we aren't leaving behind what's familiar. It's the story of Abraham. It's the story of the gospel itself. It shows us that leaving behind the familiar is the way out of futility. Relinquishing what is comfortable is the way out of barrenness. Embracing the uncomfortable is the route to effective ministry. C.S. Lewis, the former agnostic, put it this way. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. J.R. Tolkien, Lewis's buddy, depicts this in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Did you know that? How does he do it? What did Frodo have to leave behind in order to answer the call that broke into his life? The Shire. Come on. Where are the Tolkens? He had to leave behind the Shire. So my fellow Frodo's, Won't you join me in this quest? We've got work to do. We've got a mission. Let's leave behind the Shire and answer the call of God. So how do we do that? How do we answer this call? Just as Abraham's hopes are riding on a son, just as his hopes for having purpose in life are riding on a son, so too our hopes are riding on a sun. But the sun that we look to is not the sun that was born to Abraham in Genesis 21. The sun we look to for hope and purpose in life is the firstborn over all creation. It is Jesus Christ. One of the things we're doing as we journey through the scriptures is I'm trying to teach you to read the Bible the way Jesus himself would have read it. Luke 24, John 5, Jesus is saying, all the Old Testament's about me. 
So how would Jesus have read this? Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave behind the comfort, familiarity, and security of heaven. He answered the call of God and he gave up everything. He lost everything. He answered the call of God and he lost the love of his own father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He answered the call of God and he abandoned his plan and agenda for his existence. He prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Even so, not my will, but yours be done. He answered the call and he stored up every sin of all mankind, every bitter thought, every nasty word, every selfish deed. He stored that up in his own body and it was nailed to a cross. And he did all of that. Why? He's the true and better Abraham. He did all of this to be a blessing to you. Jesus has become the true and better Abraham. He is the ultimate blessing to mankind because he answered the call. And because Jesus answered the call and left behind the familiar and the comfortable, you have the opportunity to receive the greatest blessing of all. Not just satisfaction in this life, but peace with God himself and eternal life. Look at what Jesus was willing to leave behind in order to give you life and hope and purpose. In eternity past, think about this, in eternity past, Jesus lived in heaven in perfect fellowship with Father and Spirit. What was that like for Jesus? What was existence like for Jesus in heaven? Unimaginably good. What did life become for Jesus the moment he took that first painful breath in a stable? There was nobody more uncomfortable in this life and simultaneously, there was no one more of a blessing to you than Jesus. Now look at your life. To what degree are you embracing the uncomfortable in order to follow Jesus? To what degree are you embracing the uncomfortable to be a blessing to others? To what degree are you fighting for what will make you comfortable? The story of Abraham perhaps receives its best New Testament parallel. Jesus' words to those who would follow him in Matthew 10. Jesus said this, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That's radical. What is Jesus saying here? What's a father? What's a mother? What's a son? A daughter? It's family. Family meant security. 
and safety, comfort, familiarity. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow him, you're going to have to exit that which most gives you these things. That's radical living. That's living on the edge. That's embracing risk. Soren Kierkegaard, of all people, put it this way. He said, if you have any knowledge at all of human nature, you know that those who only admire the truth will, when danger appears, become traitors. The admirer is infatuated with the false security of greatness. But if there is any inconvenience or trouble, he pulls back. Admiring the truth instead of following it is just as dubious a fire as the fire of erotic love, which at the turn of the hand can be changed into exactly the opposite, to hate, jealousy, and revenge. Christ, however, never asked for admirers. He consistently spoke of followers and disciples. God is saying to you, look at my son. Look at what he was willing to give up in order to bless you. Look at that. Consider that. How much do you think he loves you based on what he was willing to give up to bless you? Jesus is saying, how much do you love me? How much are you willing to give up? How much are you willing to leave behind to embark on this quest? The degree to which you see what Jesus left behind in order to bless you is the degree to which you'll be able to leave behind the familiar, the comfortable, in order to bless him and others. Let's pray. Take a minute here in quiet reflection. It's a heavy hitting text. It pokes into the privacy of our bubbles. To what extent in the Christian life are you fighting your utmost to remain comfortable? God's calling you to something much bigger. Abraham lived a huge life, a big life, an influential life because he was willing to relinquish that which gave him comfort. Jesus lived the biggest life of all and did so by leaving behind that which was most familiar to him.
So what's God calling you to? What is he asking you to leave behind? Maybe you have yet to respond to the call of God in your life. To truly surrender your life to Jesus and make him your master. Today is the day of salvation. Consider what Jesus has done for you. Turn in repentance and faith. For Christians in the room, maybe God's trying to upend what has become habit and routine and everything that's familiar and comfortable. What do you think God is asking you to launch out on? To live on the edge? To embrace risk? And the discomfort that comes with it? Father, some in this room have not responded to your call to surrender completely. Holy Spirit, would you break into their minds and their hearts? Disturb them and lead them to Jesus. For those who have come to that place of complete surrender, I know that you're calling each of us to some new land. Maybe it's the way we talk to and about our spouses. Maybe it's how we spend the money or time you have given us. Maybe it's our attitudes towards people and life in general. Whatever new land you're calling us to, would you impress upon us, Lord, the work, the person of Jesus? May we think seriously about what he was willing to do in order to be a blessing to us. That we may in turn sacrifice to be a blessing to you and others. Do that work in us as we finish our service this morning. And we ask it to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen.